Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Why don't you get your Bibles today and open them to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1, and we'll start in verse 18 in just a few moments. We're into our third week uh, looking at an ancient document called the Apostles' Creed. The Creed is this formal statement of Christian beliefs. And so far, here's what we've done. We've looked at the idea that God created all things, and, and really we emphasize the fact the purpose behind that creation wasn't just to show off or to make a universe, but He did it to have a place to put human beings, and that we actually were the purpose that God was, that was behind all of creation. As profound as that may sound, the truth is, is found in Scripture that uh, tells us that. We also saw last week that Jesus Christ, His only Son, must be the Lord of our lives. And I had a little conversation with Scott there a moment ago about this idea between uh, just being a follower of Jesus and being a disciple. But, 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 but the idea is, is we, for Him to be Lord, He has to be Lord over everything. That means He's, I, I tell little kids, I explain it to them, the word boss, you know, they understand boss. He's got to be your boss. And that's what we talked about. It's not just enough to believe in Jesus, but you, He must be Lord of our lives as well. And, and so, uh, so we've been doing this every week. It's kind of unique for us. We don't normally do this, but I want everybody to stand one more time. We're going to recite the Apostles' Creed, which is a slightly modified version. And uh, if you need more understanding on that, re- listen to the message online the first week. But it's, it's pretty much the essence of the, the same uh, Apostles' Creed that was uh, developed uh, th- almost 2,000 years ago. Are you ready? Let's do it together. Go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the community of holy people, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. This week we're going to look at the topic of of, uh, the virgin birth and looking at the idea of Jesus and, and, and being born through a virgin, Mary, whose name, there's only two names besides God and Holy Spirit and Father and Son, but there's only two human names in the Apostles' Creed. One is Mary and one's Pontius Pilate, which I find the second one odd, but I have an interesting thought about that I'll share with you next week. But this week we're talking about Mary and uh, the implication of the virgin birth for our lives. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, let's look at our scripture then in Matthew 1, 18 through 21. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But after he had considered this, that's Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then if you look up on the screen, I'm going to read another verse from Galatians. You can follow along by looking up there, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, and, and I like to think of that as the right time, Jesus came at the right time, hallelujah. He says, God sent his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law, in other words, under the Old Testament way of doing things, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. I have to stop and make comment here, and I've made this comment before, but I don't want you ladies to feel uh, displaced by the word sonship there. It's important to understand that culturally, those who received the inheritance, the full inheritance, were the sons in that lifestyle. And what, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that all believers, including the females, are adopted as sons because that means we get the inheritance all of us do okay there's no distinction so so that actually is a good thing and it's interesting in newer translations um, that and it's a good thing I think but a lot of times what used to just say brothers in the Old Testament sometimes we'll say for clarity brothers and sisters in newer translations and I think they're the the though the the actual word brothers is is brothers in the Greek I think the implication is we're talking to the church we're talking to the whole church and so I think it's right to translate it that way but in this case they retained the maleness of it because of the promise of receiving the, uh, the inheritance together, all of us. Amen? All right. Uh, verse 6, because you are his sons, again, the same idea, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Aren't you glad today? Come on, can we just thank God one more time today? Let's praise him that he has made us heirs together with his son, Jesus. Lord, we do thank you for that. We praise you. We thank you that you're here with us right now. And God, as we come to your word, I pray that, that we will receive from the Holy Spirit and that you will fall upon us in a fresh baptism of fire in this moment and that each and every person that is here will receive something great in this moment, Lord, that we'll take with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... Uh, how many have ever uh, done pottery before? Ever done pottery? Not very many. Okay. Well, more than a, a few late hands came up. You didn't want to confess until oh, I saw a few other. I saw a few other hands, so I'll raise my hand. You say I don't know. They might think I'm weird. But so I was uh, when I was in the seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, in that time frame, I uh, went to a junior high school in a little town called North Reading, about 20 miles north of Boston, Massachusetts. That's where I lived at that time before I moved out here to the Northwest, God's country. Amen. And so, uh, so anyway, I'm in this, uh, I went to art class, and uh, this is a new school to me, I remember, and I walk in, and, and uh, I, I liked art a lot, and I walk in, the, and of course, you got to remember, this is like the, the late 60s, or actually early 70s, and it, the hippie movement was in full bloom, if you will, and so... Uh, so our, our art teacher, I actually had a crush on her. She was a, a real pretty gal, but she was a definite hippie. She had the long hair and wore the peasant dresses and just your typical, typical uh, hippie kind of person. And so here she is, our art teacher, and I walk in and I see things I've never seen before. I see a potter's wheel over here. There's a loom over in the corner. I mean, there's all the hippie stuff you can imagine in that class. And so, uh, so sure enough, I just, I'm just, I want to spend as much time in that classroom as I can. And so, you know junior high student. So anyway, I go in and, and she, uh, she introduces this idea of the pottery wheel and we can all take a try on it. And so I had in my mind that, you know, because I saw some of the creations that she had made, big, you know, ornate things. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really cool to be able to make. I think I'm going to be a potter. That's what I'm going to be. That's going to be great. And so I, I would work, you know, and it was a lot of hard work. You had to really knead the clay and get it just right. Hopefully there was no lumps in it because that would ruin everything. And then you'd throw it on the wheel and you'd, you know, and this was a, thankfully an electric wheel, so I didn't have to work too hard, but it would spin at a certain rate. And I worked and I worked and I can't tell you how many projects I worked on. And I thought they were getting really good. And then I just went a little too 
too far with it, and the whole thing came apart and started flopping around, and you turn the button off, you take the lump of clay, and you just throw it away. Of all my pottery, this is the best I ever came up with right here. This is it. I saved this from junior high. That's it. That's as far as I got. Go ahead, everybody in unison, say, that's pathetic. Ready, go. No, it's not cute. It's pathetic. That's what... It's pathetic. I thought of, I was going to make a cereal bowl, and, uh, and I might have eaten out of it once just because, but later on I heard that the glaze in those days had lead in it, and you probably shouldn't. Uh, so if anything weird about me, you might know why. But. That's as far as I got. But the idea was, I thought, you know, you, you, you try to do something, you try to build something, you try to create something. Another time in my life, uh, Rhonda and I, uh, we had a house in Ellensburg, and, and we, we were, had an expanding family, and we felt like we should build on to our house. It was a very small house, so we added a, a really large living room and a, and a master bedroom with a master bath. Um, almost doubling the size of the house because it was a, such a small house to begin with. But anyway, so, um, you know, I've never built a house before, but I figure, well, how hard could it be? Well, harder than you would think. <laughs> and so, so, uh, so I draw the plans out myself. I, I study what it takes to draw the plans. I submit it to the, the building inspector who happened to go to our church and I thought was a friend of mine. <laughs> Just saying. So... Anyway, I do great. He comes on some, you know, foundation inspection, great, other things. Everything's going great until the day I finally build the stairs. I, it was a two-story addition. I built these stairs from the downstairs to the upstairs to go to the master bedroom. And I built these stairs, and they, they just were, you know, they were evenly spaced. And you got from, the, the idea of stairs, if you didn't know, was to get from one place that's low to a place that's high or vice versa, Right. So I build these stairs, and I think, wow, these are great. And I, I just, Jerry's going to come over. He's going to inspect this. He's going to pat me on the back and say, you're amazing. And he comes over, and he goes through the whole house. And the last thing he does is he gets his tape measure out, and he sets it against the stairs, and then he kind of lets out this little, hmm. And I went, what do you mean, hmm? And I don't remember exactly what the, I think the measurement is supposed to be no more than seven inches. I may be off on that. I don't remember right now. But whatever it was, I was a quarter of an inch on each stair too high. So, so I hadn't accounted for the fact that each stair tread, I had kind of measured it at a half an inch, trying to make the, the right, and, and they were three quarters of an inch thick, and I was off by a quarter of an inch. He said, yeah, I'm sorry, Sal, but that, this is no good. You can't do this. I said, oh, come on, Jerry, come on. Like, and some of them, it was more like an eighth of an inch. It was just so close. I said, come on, it can't be that bad, right? You can let this go. He said, I really can't. And I was kind of shocked. I thought, seriously, I thought we were friends. He said, no. <laughs> he said, no, because here's the deal. He says, you probably wouldn't, but let's say someone else buys this house. They fall down the stairs. Somebody comes and measures them, sees that, they, that I passed these things, and they weren't right, and then they sue me in the city for letting something go. I, oh, I get that. That makes sense. So guess what I had to do? And I'm telling you, this lumber that you buy for stairs, this is 2x12s. These aren't cheap. So I had to tear all those stairs apart, throw all that lumber away. It was useless. I couldn't use it for anything else except firewood. And I had to buy new, three new stair runners of this massive stuff, cut it out, and got it to the right measurement. And I got through inspection. But the point is, is that a lot of times when we do things, when, we, when they don't work out for us, we just scrap it, right, and think, let's just start over. Have you ever done that before? Scrap it and start over. But I'm going to tell you something about God because, because, you know, imagine this. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God could have just said, eh, 
that didn't, that didn't go good. And the clay on the potter's wheel is flopping and the stairs are too high. And let's just start over. And he could have done like universe 2.0, right? Just, just start a new one. Why not? I mean, he's God. He could do that. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. But here's the deal. He created human beings in perfection. He really did. He created us in perfection. But we became marred and broken by sin. The, all the bad stuff you see about humans in the world wasn't God's original creation for us, but only the result of sin entering the world and our choices that we made. And so instead of casting us off or destroying us, and instead of starting over, he made and he had actually planned before the foundation of the world a plan of redemption, a way out for us. And in a stunning move, <laughs> truly, the, the entire plan of God for the rescue of human beings was worked out through the willingness of a young woman named Mary. How, you couldn't even write a story like that to think that through. You couldn't ever think, boy, this whole thing is going to hinge on some young woman who's a virgin saying yes to God to, to allow her to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, I, I'm amazed at the, the wonder of God's story, but when you think about actually being Mary and having to come up with that decision in that moment, and saying yes to God, it's astounding. Don't you agree? The idea that Jesus Christ was born to this young woman, who, again, from this small town of Nazareth, was one of the most mocked and, and challenged beliefs of our faith. If you want to talk about one of the statements that people will struggle with the most from the Apostles' Creed, this is it right here. And, and, and those who wrote the creed knew that, and they knew the importance of making sure that this was clearly spelled out, and I love it that her name is in there, of the two, other hum, the two humans that are named in the creed, that they named Mary by name and said, make sure you understand that it was through a real young woman who gave up that moment to the, to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit so that the salvation of the world could come. And don't you think it's on the surface is so preposterous that, that you're either left with a decision to say, yeah, I believe God did that and a, a virgin became pregnant, or you think, no, there's no way that could happen. There's really no gray area, is there, in that? Well, you can't do anything with that. You either got to go, yeah, or you got to say, no, I don't believe it. Now, now the reason, I, and this is what I find to be, for me at least, the greatest reason that this doctrine is so profoundly important is because wrapped within the idea of the virgin birth is this concept that we, that, that, that we have a hard time with our minds understanding, but we've got to try to grasp this, is that Jesus Christ is both 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Now, that math, when I say things like that, that math in a human mind doesn't compute very well because we understand that 100% means that's everything. And so if you've got 100% God, then there's no room for anything else. Or if you have 100% man, there's no room for anything else. But God's math is beyond our math, right? And you understand that, that somehow what, what, and somehow it doesn't make 200%, but you overlay God and man together into one being, and it becomes the perfect God-man without leaving anything out from one or the other. Nothing was missing from him being God. The only thing he laid aside, honestly, was his right to act as God while he was in human form. But that has been returned to him. You understand that? And that Philippians 2 tells us that he laid aside that, that idea, that idea that I, I'll just act only as God. So what he did on earth, he did as a human being. And that's why he says, the things I do, you can do also, and even greater things. How is that possible? It's just the same way he did it. He did it by faith. Are you getting this? 
So, so, so he was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. I stress this because here's, here's why I stress this. Look, I want to show you three verses from chapter 5 of the book of Romans. And then Paul, Paul begins to tell us, and he explains to us, that since a man, Adam, ruined God's plan, if you will, for humanity having this relationship with God, then, then from the, when he took the fruit from the tree and he ate it and Eve the same, then, then, then according to God's plan and according to the Bible, only a man could rescue us from that. So these three verses, I've added a word for just clarity so we understand. So I've added the word Adam in parentheses there, but this is right out of the NIV version. It says, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, speaking of Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Okay? And then a couple of verses later, Paul says this, For if by the trespass, or the sin of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, death reigned on the whole planet, was in, in charge of the whole planet, how much more, I love that, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Are you starting to catch this? And just to make sure we have it by the mouth of three witnesses, Paul says it again in verse 19, a couple of verses more. He says, for just as uh, through the disobedience of the one man, again, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Listen, folks, if we don't have this virgin birth, if we don't have this combination of one, a person who can be 100% God and 100% man at the same time, then there's no way we can have what we need, which is the righteousness of God being applied to our lives. There's no way that can happen. Because a man was given right, or the dominion over the planet, another man had to come and take it back after it had been squandered. That's the only way it was going to work. It had to be that way. See, so, so, so this whole thing, you know, we, I almost named this sermon uh, Christmas in April, but, uh, you know, the Christmas story, right, is not just a cute story about a young woman who became pregnant with a special child and gave birth to him. No, it, it, it's more than that. It's not about just this little town of Bethlehem and all that. I mean, that's a great part of the story, but it is the story of how, through a human being, God could redeem humans. I think it's sad, honestly, and borders on heresy, that some groups are opposed to women in ministry and leadership. Without a woman who is willing to be a vessel God could work through, none of us, none of us would have a relationship with God. It was also women, if you think about it, who were given the first charge to go preach the gospel. Those who went to the tomb, you know, they were coming back, and he said, go tell others what you've seen. Go tell the others. It was the women he told to go do that. It was, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 11 and 12, it says, uh, this is a verse that I think helps explain this, but it says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as women came, a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. So there's this, this interplay that has to take place that one can't be without the other. But I want to point out, in favor of women, that, that it, only one woman came from a man, but every man except for one came from a woman. You catching that, right? <laughs> only Adam <laughs> was not uh, born from a woman. I would also like to say that the man, Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, came from a woman and was entrusted by God to raise his son. 
That's amazing. Do you understand raising children isn't just feeding them, but it's instructing them. It's teaching them. Even when he was in his teens and as a young man, she, she was still an influence in his life. Don't tell me women don't have a place in leadership, don't have a place in, in preaching of the Word of God. Don't tell me that. I don't believe it. Now, we don't see Mary as a co-redemptor as the Catholic Church tends to teach and and. Some people say, well, it's, they don't quite teach that, and, uh, but, but there is something more. There's prayers that are prayed to Mary. We don't do those kinds of things. But at the same time, we recognize her as a vital part in the, in the plan of God for us. Amen? Jesus himself said she would be called blessed, and so we want to do that. So let me touch, as we finish up this whole idea of the virgin birth, I'm going to touch on a, a couple of topics, a couple of concepts that come from the idea of the virgin birth and hopefully just kind of bring some practical teaching to this right now. The first thing I want you to get from the idea of the virgin birth, and if you think about the Old Testament, is, is this phrase, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. One of the most amazing things about Jesus being born to Mary is the fulfillment of the plethora of promises. I mean, so many, some very distinct. I mean, it, it literally says in Isaiah, the virgin will be with a child. 600 years before he comes, the virgin will be with a child. How much, I don't understand how the Jews don't get it with Jesus. I honestly don't. I don't, I, you know, bless them. I love them. I pray for them all the time in Israel. But I'm just saying, I don't know how you don't get that story was being fulfilled in that moment. Because your, your prophet, the, the book of Isaiah is in a, uh, a giant uh, scroll that was re rescued from the Dead Sea. Uh, uh, scrolls is in a, a, a place, a special museum uh, right there in Jerusalem that we went to many years ago. And, and you, you can read those words if you can read Hebrew. And it says the virgin will be with a child. So, so and, and the promises actually go all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 3.15, immediately after the sin that took place, God says to the woman when the curse is being pronounced that she, she would have a son uh, and that the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And we see when we understand the New Testament, we understand that's exactly what Jesus did through the cross. Colossians says that he triumphed over him, uh, by uh, triumphing over him in the cross. That he, he beat the devil down and finished the work through the cross. So, so, but the, so the fact that Jesus was born to Mary, um, whose, whose descendants, if you will, or lineage is laid out in Luke's gospel, shows us that God is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. It goes all the way back to the earliest times. It goes back to the very Garden of, of Eden when that curse was pronounced. It goes through the line of Abraham. It goes through all of his descendants. And it, it veers off into the line of Judah and through his descendants on down to Christ 2,000 years ago. And we see that God's deliverance to human comes from him but through people, through humans. Even flawed humans can be the conduits of God's plan to others. Did you know that? You think I'm not qualified? Yes, you are. Absolutely. You see, it's not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not just the line of Judah and then through David. But also, if you look at a little earlier in our, the first text that we use today, there's the genealogy part, which you probably always skip when you read your Bible, right? You read the beginning of Matthew and so-and-so begat so-and-so and all that. And you go, yeah, I don't know. I don't know any of those people. I'm, oh, there's a name I recognize. But one thing you might notice if you look through Matthew's, Matthew's genealogy is the fact that he names four women in that list. He names Rahab the prostitute, Tamar, who was, deceived her father-in-law Judah, 
to have a child by him, and that child becomes in the line of Jesus Christ. Okay? She posed as a prostitute. The, the third one is Ruth, who was a Moabitess, who came from a family and a nation of idol worshipers. And the fourth one is Bathsheba, who uh, we know, you know, and uh, whether or not she was, you know, uh, I, don't, I just don't believe she was raped by David. I think she came, and whether she was seduced, uh, you know, but nevertheless, she had an affair with a married man and had a child by him, and then Christ goes through that line. Each one of these women are, are they're the only four mentioned, if you will, in that genealogy. And, and listen, I don't point them out to denigrate them or women at all, but to recognize and acknowledge the fact, and we all need to understand this, that God, uh, that God uh, what he did was not hold back from identifying and working through sinful humans. People that are just like us, messed up, we got a past, so what? Get over it, right? We all have a problem or a past or things in our life that just aren't right. But, I, that, but we ha- listen to your pastor today. We have great capacity in Jesus Christ. Great capacity in him. Though we've all sinned, we can be a vital part of... Can I tell you God's redemptive plan for humans hasn't stopped? All right, It didn't end with Mary. It only began there, and it's continuing through us today. And though there will only be that one, one person, one Mary, that will give birth to God's only Son, every one of us can have the Holy Spirit overshadow our lives and help us bring the promise of Jesus to a world that needs Him, can't we? Yeah. Okay. So that brings me to my next salient point, is this, that the Holy Spirit is essential to all of this. The Creed says clearly that the Son of God was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about and notice with me the, the dominant role of the Holy Spirit in the entire Bible. From the very beginning of creation, even in verse 2 of Genesis, we see that the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. That's not just a little byline that God throws in there. This is pretty critical to our understanding of what's going to take place. It's going to make creation actually work. And it's that the Spirit, see, the Spirit of God is like over all and covering the whole earth. It's covering over uh, the whole earth, if you will. And it's, and, and it's the Holy Spirit who's over all the chaos and all the darkness that's going on in that moment when God says, let there be light, and there was light. And we see Mary who represents humans who are, who are in chaos since sin has entered the, the world through the human race and, and, and now hearing from the angel how she will become the mother of Jesus. And from Luke 1.35, the angel says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And we get this same idea from the wording here where you have him hovering over the earth and hovering over the darkness of the chaos of the earth and now hovering over or overshadowing this human named Mary and saying that the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you in the chaos that she represents of the human race, of all our mistakes and all of our guilt and all of our sin. And yet God says, no, 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 I'm still going to do something great through you. And so he overshadows her and she becomes pregnant with God's son. There's something more going on here than, than just a baby in a manger. I'm telling you, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And we have this moment when light pierces darkness through Mary, when the light of the world now penetrates a dark world. Are you catching this today? Wow, it's so amazing. And now Jesus is born to this, this poor woman. She, she was not a wealthy person. She's from the hill country, a little town called Nazareth, which was like being, no offense if you're born there, but it's like some people would think of down south or Oklahoma. Or oh, you're from Oklahoma, yeah. 
no offense, I mean seriously, but you know how some people will say things like that and think, or maybe they'll think, oh, you know, they're from across the tracks, or they'll have different terminology to, to sort of denigrate other people and think, well, they're just kind of less than. Is this true? And she's, she, she's sort of like a redneck, if you will, all right? Let's put it that way. They talk funny up there in Nazareth. They do. And now, out of the blue, she's pregnant. She's not even married. And her whole, her whole uh, you know, reputation, if you will, and her character are being called into question. And sometimes, you know, seriously, we look at our own lives and we think of the things that we don't have, and we assume that God can't work through us because we're defective in some way. We don't have enough money. We, don't have a, we didn't have a good upbringing. We made mistakes. We messed up. I was talking to a mom in our church a couple of weeks ago, and she was, I overheard her talking to her son, and she was using me as an example, which is scary, but, but I understood where she was going. And she was talking about her son, that even though his dad and his life was somewhat out of the picture in his life right now, that, that he should not think that he cannot become everything that God wants him to become. And I appreciate the fact that she saw in me because because that's the way I was raised. I didn't have a dad growing up. So she saw in me somebody that she could use as an example of someone who, despite not having a great childhood, not having a dad growing up, is turned out okay. Right? uh, But the truth is it's really only by the grace of God and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that anything good comes out of my life, which I offer to him at age 15. But I want to make a little pronouncement today of some good news to all of you is that, that every single person, point to yourself right now, just physically do it, point to yourself. You, every single one of you, has the same opportunity to yield to the Spirit as Mary did and let the greatness of God come through your life. I don't care how old you are right now, you think about all your past mistakes and all, no, 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 listen, just let the Holy Spirit do His work and watch redemption begin to take place. Watch change begin to take place. And just as the Spirit hovered over the chaos of the earth of creation, and just as He hovered over and overshadowed the humble young woman Mary, He's ready to hover over your life today and bring order and bring blessing and hope and light into the dark places. Where whatever's going on, He's ready to invade that and bring light to it. Are you ready for that? See, listen, think about it. Even Jesus Himself did not do any great works, did no miracles, did, didn't go out and do any teaching um, at all until after he'd been baptized in water and then the, the Holy Spirit, what, came upon him. Are you catching this? Holy Spirit comes upon him. And so what does he do? He goes straight to the synagogue. He opens the scroll of Isaiah and begins to read. He says, what's the first words out of his mouth? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he goes on and says to preach the good news to the poor and, 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 and reads from Isaiah and basically says, today this is being fulfilled as you're hearing it. This is what's happening right now. And then Jesus dies on a cross. He's buried in a grave. He raises on the third day. He ascends after 40 days of teaching his disciples, and they wait seven more days. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they're gathered together in an upper room. And the same Holy Spirit comes upon the 120, again, comes upon them, tongues of fire. You know, uh, I've said this before. I think a lot of children's books will show a little bitty flame like a candle on their heads or on their shoulder. But I really believe the wording and the terminology is talking about something that completely enveloped them. It'd be like me looking at Zach right now and just seeing, whoa, fire. That'd be a freaky moment, don't you think? 
But that's, you look around the room and you think, well, everybody else, all 119 other people here look like that right now. Cool, let's just go with it. And they all begin to speak in other tongues, you know. And it's an amazing moment. But understand that the great things of God are done through His Holy Spirit. Even the starting of that church, and then a guy who couldn't talk right, kept putting his foot in his mouth, suddenly gets up, Peter, he gets up and he preaches his first real sermon, and 5,000 people get saved that day. That's what happens when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and let Him come upon us. And finally, this in conclusion, as the worship team comes back up, the last point is this. God's plan will be accomplished. It's going to happen. It's a fact. I, to me, there's great comfort in that idea that, that there is a plan for my life, for your life, and for humans as, in general. The story of the birth of Jesus is not simply a story about rectifying the past, making up for the mistakes that we made. It's a hope about a future together with God and getting back to where He intended for us to be to begin with. Ra wrapped up in the promises of God from the Old Testament and the New Testament even, our concepts that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah. Wrapped up in the prophecies are the ideas that God wins and vanquishes Satan completely. The work began at the cross, but it's going to be finished. There's some day when we won't have to deal with the devil anymore. I don't know how that makes you feel, but that excites me a lot. And I would like the opportunity, if God would give it to me, to help boot him into eternal hell forever. I've, you know, maybe we all get a chance to do that, right? I'd love that. Thank you, Jesus. Wrapped up in the pregnancy of Mary is the narrative of power and a never-ending story of God with us and God for us and the hope of new life. See, the desire of God from the very beginning was this. Why did He make people? He made us that He would be our God and that we would be His people. It's all about relationship. And unlike people, unlike us who take that clay on that wheel and cast it aside and think that didn't work, let's start over. Or have to tear out the stairs and burn it up because it's no good anymore. God saw good in what He had created. He saw hope in what He created. He saw redemption in what He created. And first through the willingness of a young virgin and then ultimately through Jesus Christ, her firstborn son, God began the process of redeeming humanity. Now there will only be one Mary who will be the mother of Jesus Christ, that's true. But each of us can have the same attitude and heart, can't we? Same idea that Mary had. One more verse, or actually two verses I think. Uh, Paul tells us this in Romans 12.1. You're familiar with this. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you understand that Mary, when God says you're going to become pregnant, that she had to make a conscious choice as this young woman to say, okay, I'm offering my body to God. Right? Literally offering my body to God. And we tend to spiritualize this too much. But I want to tell you today that God wants you to offer your body to Him today. He really does. And so, so at the end of the, what we're going to do in just a moment is we're going we're gonna to sing uh, probably two songs. I think we've got time for this. And, and I'm just going to encourage, we've done this a lot lately, and we're going to keep doing it. We're going to open up the front. And I want to tell you something about moving your body out of the place where you're standing and moving to a new place, maybe getting on your knees before God and just offering it all to Him. And I'm telling you, in that moment, God is going to meet you. He's going to overshadow you. He's going to come upon us in this time together, and He's going to begin to make some difference in your life and begin to use you in ways you never dreamed before. That Jesus would be birthed out of us as a people 
through this moment. So let's stand to our feet, if you would. Let's, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the front and make yourself available to the Holy Spirit. And like Mary, what we're going to do is we're going to say this, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Could you repeat that with me? Go. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.